0: My uh, pleasure to welcome John Yates to uh, share with us this morning. John was the rector of the Falls Church for many, many years. Uh, he was my mentor and the mentor to many young uh, clergy who are, unfortunately, now not so young. It was under his uh, leadership that we began Christ the King many years ago. So, John, thank you for being with us this morning. Good to be with you, David. Good to be with. All of you, thank you for letting me come. And thank you for asking me to preach about Ruth, one of my my favorite books in the Bible. I have an older brother in North Carolina who's 10 years older and when I was a little boy, he taught me most of the important things in my life. He taught me to throw a football, he taught me to ride horseback. He taught me to read the Bible and pray in the morning. And one time he shared a verse from the Bible with me that uh, is, uh, it, it relates to the book of Ruth. It's John chapter 16, verse 33. And in that passage, Jesus said this. He said, in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I've always loved that because it's, uh, it's, it's a realistic but it's full of faith. And that's, that's a verse that applies to the book of Ruth. There's great trouble in this world, but behind it for the people of God, God is always working his purposes. And so we're, we're to be completely honest and realistic about the trouble, but full of great faith in God at the same time. And that, that's why I love the book of Ruth, because it's a story of great trouble but a great God at work always. Now in the book of Ruth, there are four chapters, I think you're gonna be looking at them over the next few weeks, and there are four Ds. The first D is disaster, the second D is decision, the third D is determination, and the fourth D is delight. Don't worry, today we're just gonna look at the first two, okay? Disaster and decision. So here's the setting of this book, and it's a long time ago about 1100 BC. It's the time of the judges in Israel and it's a time of lawlessness. Uh, It says in the book of Judges, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So weak people were vulnerable to danger, It was a dangerous time for many people. And the story of Ruth begins in the little village of Bethlehem, a small agrarian village just a few miles from Jerusalem. But in those days, Jerusalem wasn't a Jewish city. It was where uh, the feared uh, people, the Jebusites, lived. And they were enemies of the Jews. Bethlehem was uh, surrounded by fertile fields, uh, wheat, barley, grew in those fields. And the the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Chapter 1 begins the story of a family. So let me read again verses 1 to 3. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. They went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. So they were people of faith, but it was a time of famine. There was no rain, there was no food. They were running out. They didn't have any bread, they didn't have any vegetables. Maybe they had uh, uh, someone, maybe they had some sheep and uh, goats but uh, you know, they could live on lamb and hamburger only for a certain amount of time but when it ran out they didn't have anything else. Then what? So Elimelech, this man, his name means, Elimelech means God is my king. He was afraid, he was hurting. Uh, His wife's name was Naomi, which means happy, but she wasn't very happy at that point. They had two sons during this time of famine. And uh, the sons must have been uh, sickly and unhealthy because their names mean sickly and failing. Can you imagine naming your children something like that? So they were malnourished kids. And the promised land was not very productive, so they decided they had to depart because God wasn't providing what they needed. So they decided to go to an area called Moab, about 50, 60 miles away, journey to the east. And they had to go down through the dangerous uh, valley of the Dead Sea to get there and up into the hills, which is where those uh, those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had been years before. It's not an area that was friendly to Israelites and culturally, morally, and spiritually, uh, they were very different people, and they were perennial enemies of the Jews. It's the last place a good Jew would think about going, but the fields there were productive, and Elimelech could get work there, so that's where they went. They stayed several years, the sons grew up, and they married girls from Moab, and these girls weren't—they—they they weren't believers in the God of Israel, but they were good girls. But the hard times weren't over for this family because Elimelech, the father died, and then the two sons died. And Naomi and her two daughters-in-law were left all alone. So you got three women alone in a pagan land, a widow who was a refugee, and two young women who were widows also. There were no men left in the home. There was no means of support. There were no Jewish relatives there to go to. Uh, They didn't have many alternatives. So it seemed like God had forgotten them. So that's why we refer to this first section as disaster. But then we come to the second part, which we call the time of decision. So word came to them that life was getting better back home. And they had friends and relatives there. So in verse 6, it says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, She and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. So as they're packing their bags, getting ready to go, Naomi's thinking about this. And she's thinking, you know, this isn't a very good plan for my girls. Of course, she needed them. She wanted them to go with her, but she refused to think of herself. She thought, you know, these girls would be better off if they go back to their hometowns. I was thinking about that and it reminded me of my my mother and her own selflessness in a time of great trouble in our family's history years ago. My older sister and I were both engaged to be married in the summer of 1969. My sister in May and I was to be married in August. Well, a change in circumstances made it necessary for my sister to put her wedding off till July. And then my father became ill and he had unexpected surgery and my father died unexpectedly. And he died the very weekend when my sister's wedding had been planned originally. So my mother was in her 50s, she and dad had had the happiest of marriages and suddenly she's a widow and her two last children are both about to be married and leave her. So her life went from joyous delight to disaster in one weekend. But did she ever suggest that we postpone our plans? Did she ever say, I just don't think I can do this? Please, can we rethink these two weddings? Never, all she thought of was us. Our own happiness, providing for us. Now, years later, when we were old enough to uh, get some mature perspective, we asked her, Mom, Mom, what was that really like for you? And she said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But at the time, she never even hinted that we should consider her needs. Now that's the way good parents are. That's what Naomi did. She calls her daughters, they're probably in their early 20s. She told them to return to their own families. It was good advice, it was just common sense. And then she prayed for them to experience the kindness of God and to be able to marry Uh, again and have children. Her focus and her faith were only concerned with the well-being of her, her daughters. Now note that she had strong faith, but she was utterly realistic at the same time. So Oprah left, and we don't hear anything more about her. But Ruth made a different decision. And just as Naomi had come to a major decision, now so does Ruth. And And we have these famous words. Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. I will go. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth considered that the covenant she had entered into with her husband, Naomi's son, extended also to his mother. You see, Naomi was now her mother and and Naomi's family was her family now. And Naomi had the grace to accept Ruth's determination. So two women all alone set out on a dangerous journey Two bereft women bound only by love and a promise, the poorest of the poor, but they had each other. And on their way back from Moab to Bethlehem, they had to take, they had to take a very famous road, a long narrow road that went west up through the wilderness, went up to Jerusalem, and then cut south to Bethlehem. It's the same road that Jesus immortalized in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember a road full of robbers, a dangerous road. And they had to pass through what? It's called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's a section on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's very narrow, very dark, and a lot of crimes took place there. Then that's, that's a sort of place no, no women should ever have to be by themselves, but there they were. You think about it, and you think how many, how many refugee women like this must be on a road somewhere right now in Mexico or in Afghanistan or some other miserable place longing for a better life. God have mercy. Naomi and Ruth, they simply did what they had to do. And in verse 18 it tells us they were determined to make it. They had no assurance that they could make a better life but they were determined to try. Two women, one old and tired one young and strong, one was resigned, but the other was determined. And the Bible often pictures the wisdom of the old and the strength of the young working together. We we older ones, we need the vigor and the idealism of the youth, don't we? While the young need the experience and the perspective of the old. Now, we have a problem today that we have... Lots of vibrant, growing churches across the land that are full of only young people, while older churches simply have older people. And that's, that's a mistake because we need each other. And it's a sign of health that you have both here in this church. And I hope you'll get to know one another, you old folks and you young folks, so that you young and old together can discern and accomplish the will of God for your church and for one another. Now notice here, Naomi only wanted what was best for Ruth, and Ruth only wanted what was best for Naomi. And it's a lovely picture of how God intends each of us to care for one another. So they went on together, and after days of travel, they finally got to Bethlehem. They must have been relieved, but still, it wasn't really a happy time. Verse 19 So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can't this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the almighty God has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me happy? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi is now old. She's exhausted. She's drawn. She's bitter. She says, Call me Mara, which means bitterness. God's really let me down. He's afflicted me. He's, he's brought misfortune upon me. Now, she's an honest woman. She's honest with Ruth and her friends about how she's feeling. She's honest with God. And she was right in a sense. However, she refused to remain resigned to her situation. She wasn't giving up. She was still determined to do whatever she could to take care of Ruth, who was now like her very own daughter to her. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but right after that, when it spoke of Ruth, it referred to her as Ruth the Moabite. You notice she, still, she wasn't one of them. A foreigner would always be an outsider. But we will see as we read through the rest of this book that in God's providence, this Moabite woman was to become a mother in Israel, a a person very essential to the plan of God, even for us. But it was years before anyone but God realized this. But sometimes the outsider is the very person God has chosen for his important task. So we come to the end of chapter one In the beginning of what we might call the third section, determination, and next week you get more about what happens next. There's an old phrase that says, hard times can make you bitter or better. Naomi was a bitter woman for a time. Brokenhearted. But what we'll see as we read on through this book is that she refused to remain in that condition, and in time she became a better, stronger woman. It seemed like God had deserted them, but that was only how it seemed. It wasn't at all true because God was working a much greater purpose than any of them knew. And you'll learn about this when you get to chapter four. But for now, there's just the slightest hint. What had happened appeared as bad news to the people. To everyone in the story, it looked like bad news, but actually it was the beginning of good news. And we get a little indication of this in the final verse of chapter one. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, as the barley harvest was beginning. They still had no money, they had no man, they had no jobs, but things were about to turn around and God was about to bring them bread again. The harvest was beginning and hope once again began to be rekindled for these women. God had a much greater agenda in mind for them than they could know. You know, God often works that way for his people. Sometimes we have to reach the end of our own resources before we're really able to see God work on our behalf. You just consider how many times you see this in the scriptures. We have our own plans, our own hopes, our own dreams, but God then steps in to do something completely different. Just listen to these reminders from scripture as we close. Genesis 6 Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and filled with violence. God determined to make an end of all flesh, but God said to Noah, make yourself an ark. Genesis 12, Abram and Sarah settled in the land of Haran, but God said, go from your country and kindred to the land I'll show you. Genesis 21, Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100, but God gave them the ability to conceive a son, Isaac. Or Genesis 45, the patriarch Joseph who was betrayed and sold into slavery said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Or Isaiah 40, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or Matthew chapter 1, Mary was afraid and disgraced before her neighbor's. And Joseph, her betrothed, had decided to break things off. But God spoke to Joseph in a dream. Or Matthew 14, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter said in Acts 3, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Do you hear that verse over and over again? But God, but God, but God... All through the scriptures, this is the story. Declaring to us that God is actually present and God is active and God is working. Jesus said, my father is always about his work, even to this very day. My father is working. St. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things, God is working for good. God knows you. God loves you, God desires what is best for you, and God is actively working his purposes for our well-being, but we forget this. My wife often says, while we are waiting, God is working. But you and I are often blind to this, mistaken, short-sighted in our perceptions and our assumptions of what God might be doing. Naomi and Ruth had no idea that God was up to something much bigger. And when at the end of chapter one, the writer says that the barley harvest was about to begin, this meant that soon they would have bread again. And that was good news, but it's a quiet hint of something much more significant. It's an announcement of the good news that would come way in the future because this is a small and subtle hint of the one who would come a thousand years later as the bread of life. Do you see that? John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And through Ruth, his coming would become a possibility. God was preparing for something much greater than simply bread, and you'll see this. Time to close, okay? Friends, in the story of Ruth, there are hints of our own story as well. Our story in Christ. We are members of the family of God, but this does not mean we will be spared hard times. They will certainly come, and we must face them, as Jesus explained, realistically, and full of faith. Hard times are our opportunity to exercise our faith in deeper ways. And when we do, when we decide that no matter what, we'll continue to trust in him and push on, then we will see God bringing about his purposes. Look, you might be 17 today and worrying about your social life or your college choice, or you might be 70 worrying about your health or your grandchildren, it doesn't matter. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you become God's child, safe and secure, you're certainly not guaranteed an easy life, but you're guaranteed that God will be at work and bring about his purposes. Will you put your trust in Christ today? Will you entrust yourself into God's hands? That's the only place where you and I are completely safe. Of course, whatever age you are, you're going to have disappointments, hurt. Times when you have no idea what God might be doing or why he might be allowing this or that to happen. Hard times that might stretch out over many years, like the famine that caused Naomi to lose so much. But you're still in his hands. And the day of harvest may be just around the corner for you. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hands. That's a promise to you and to me. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are working, your purposes are good. Thank you that you look upon each of us, you reach out to put your arms around us and hold us tightly. Oh Lord, may we, may I, may we submit ourselves to you, give ourselves wholly to trust you in difficult times. Please forgive us our doubts And help us to grow in trust. Thank you that you're in control. Please use us for your great plans. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.